Season 2, Episode 4 The Heart of Cooking and Social Justice The Fram Episode Starting in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 The Fram Episode The Fram Episode The Fram episode. I want to say hello and welcome back to episode four. This is season two, episode four, The Heart of Cooking and Social Justice. I was going to try my darndest to get this episode released before Thanksgiving, but you know, I realized all too well that a lot of people already have their set traditions of cooking for Thanksgiving. There's not much more um, I could impose upon you in regards to trying something new because it is a good thing to have cooking traditions in the family. This episode of The Heart of Cooking and Social Justice, I'm going to touch upon the efforts uh, across the world, in particular just a few organizations and most of them who uh, do a lot of work in California give you a little bit of my experience in the area uh, that I've had and also start jumping into talking about particular recipes and some ideas that may help you if you have some cooking issues. And yes, I am going to be talking about Julia Child, one of my favorite people to watch with my mother in the kitchen when I was growing up. We had such fun watching her and listening to her, uh, laughing our heads off. Uh, but before I get to that, let me talk about what I really want to summarize and make sure you focus on that. Yes, this is a time of year that we're with our friends and our relatives and we are, we need to be joyful. There's a lot in the, going on in the world that is just very upsetting and heartbreaking and we need to feel joy sometimes. And we like to think that we use the holidays to do that, especially uh, Thanksgiving and Hanukkah's coming up and Christmas is coming up and Kwanzaa's coming up and there's going to be a lot of other holidays where there's joy and eating foods that represent and have deep meaning. Organizations like the World Central Kitchen, uh, which I actually had experience, a short experience with, um, is at the forefront of cooking and social justice. This organization, uh, this organization that is a uh, started by Chef Jose Andreas and uh, uh, several other people that he asked to get involved, travels the globe helping uh, people, feeding people in times of crisis. Uh, it started in uh, 2010, he started actually, and he was helping uh, in Haiti. He was helping in Haiti when there was a devastating earthquake. And so he, his organization started picking up and, and, and getting more involved and uh, world disaster situations. Uh, and in 2017, he also helped in Hurricane Harvey when it hit uh, Houston. He got several chefs involved to help out and get on his team. He helped with when Hurric Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. And the list goes on in areas where he's uh, stepped in to feed people, even in Ukraine recently, most recently Ukraine. It is um, one of those uh, feel-good 
uh, sites to see this organization. And I, the short experience I had was uh, I was working for the federal government when I lived in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, it was during the government shutdown in 2018-2019, short period, 35, 36, 37 days, you know, it just seemed like a lifetime. Can't remember how many exact days. Uh, but I took it upon myself, said I'm unemployed and I need to do something. So I emailed the World Central Kitchen and got a hold of one of the directors and one of the managers. They res uh, all responded to my email and I said, hey, how can I help? I mean, I can I can do something from my computer. What can I do um, and uh, and get involved in that way? I said, hey, how about outreach? Can I get other chefs involved? Because at the time, uh, Chef Andreas was looking for chefs to help with feeding uh, unemployed federal workers. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll help. I'll volunteer with outreach. So I became an outreach volunteer. I would call, I would email, I would find any way possible to contact chefs in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area and ask them, could you please uh, help feed uh, federal government workers help Chef Andreas help them feed their families, help first responders during the shutdown time feeding. And so I was able to talk with a lot of chefs and their organizations, their directors, managers, and get them all get them on board to help uh, Chef Andreas in that period of time. And it was really emotionally rewarding for me to do that. I felt uh, very made me feel good that I could do something. Uh, however, I, you know, minuscule it may seem, uh, I felt I was doing what I could do at a short moment's notice. And that was my experience uh, with World Central Kitchen. Wonderful people, very delightful to talk with people. Uh, they were amazing and hardworking people. And to this day, that team is, is awe-inspiring. And when we moved to California, I mean, I started looking into what's going on in the area. There's Chef Roy Choi. He's in Los Angeles, and he even, he has, he even has a show uh, that uh, he goes behind the scenes, and he goes to certain uh, locations and locales and uh, basically you know, tries to influence and have a positive impact on feeding folks in those areas. And when you get into... Uh, what he's doing, it also brings up the topic of food insecurity and food deserts, which is uh, pretty common in California, especially Los Angeles County, where I live. Uh, food insecurity in LA, in South LA alone, there's like a number of food desert areas uh, that it's, um, it's, it's crazy across the board. Uh, let me t give you some information um, from a news article, ABC 7 News recently on food insecurity, just to give you some uh, stats here. So there's new, re there's new reports out that find uh, April 27, 2023, a news report that one in four LA residents go hungry. Uh, food insecurity remains undercounted, especially uh, nationally, but also in California. If you think about it, America is a rich country in regards to food and food diversity as well. But you know, University of Southern California researchers uh, think that you know, there's a growing situation here with food insecurity in the U.S. Um, and even the USDA is starting to report this. Uh, if you look at Los Angeles County, uh, there's a concern. If you look at Los Angeles County, there's a concern. Um, you see an impact of inflation and 
and uh, prices and other issues that hit families, and especially those with limited income, you're looking at them having an inability to provide healthy uh, and healthy foods. The rates of food insecurity in Los Angeles County alone are back up to 24 percent uh, in 2022, and it the also the USDA has a very more depressing report. So again, it this new research is finding out that one out of four people in LA County alone suffers from food insecurity. People are actually not able to buy a sufficient amount of food. Um, they're they're not able to. Uh, they have to go to food banks in order to get a sufficient amount of food because of what's going on. Um, use there's a lot a rise in the use of food pantries. When we look at social justice and uh, cooking, we this is this is uh, the epitome of what we see as uh, what social justice uh, means in regards to food. And if you look at also, the food deserts in California. In Southern California, I said alone, there's a lot of food deserts. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, I mean, food deserts, to define it, are defined as areas devoid of fresh fruit, vegetables, and other health, healthy, healthful whole foods, largely due to a lack of grocery stores, farmer markets, and healthy food providers. Uh, you'll have organizations like the Los Angeles Food Policy Council, which are leading uh, the fight to uh, do something about these food deserts, um, get involved in reconceptualizing the markets that are in those areas, uh, create an access to healthy foods, vegetables, and fruits in the in uh, companies and businesses that are already in these food desert areas, markets, small small family owned, a uh, small markets and and little grocery stores, and creating a situation where they have an ability to sell fresh groceries uh, that are uh, available to everybody in that area. And so there's a lot of effort going on in regards to uh, food deserts and reconceptualizing uh, how lower income neighborhoods can regenerate themselves. And you have these organizations that are out there, like I said, Los Angeles Food Policy Council. There's also the, uh, you know, the Healthy Neighborhood Market Network program. It provides technical assistance to corner stores to help them become healthy food outlets. So they'll give them an ability to have access to bring in these products, the fresh products, and help them be able to be sustainable in that manner. And I think that's really important to remember at this time of year, uh, in the holidays, that yes, you, you should still, you should donate your time and get involved in the food banks and, and kitchens and help people uh, and uh, find inventive ways to actually get involved around the holidays to feel joy because you get joy from helping others. And we know that uh, as humans, we bond around eating. And so comfort food is essential. It is a large part of what a lot of these organizations are trying to uh, recreate a sense of comfort uh, through cooking and through the foods that they share uh, with those in need. And we all know memories of uh, being with our families at dinner and bonding, we disagreeing, but sharing emotions. But still, we have comfort foods 
uh, that we have that are in our memories and we have foods that are part of us that define us uh, as who we are um, as a culture and defines us each and every one of us in our social groups that we're in and makes us who we are. And so uh, I wanted to uh, share this with you as we are going through a lot of information here today about cooking and some ideas to help you with cooking and to help you create a memory this year, a, a positive memory, a good memory, as, besides just being with your family, but sharing it with others who are in need. And as I said, that's essential in regards to cooking and social justice. Now we're going to move on here into some information uh, about cooking. And I know this isn't going to be, this could be boring to some people, but you know, I'm, I'm going to have to bring Julia Child in and I love her to this day. Uh, I think this woman was amazing. Uh, when she, she could bring people together, she was, she could use laughter to do it. Uh, she never uh, presented herself as being perfect. And by far, she would joke about herself. And so I thought that she was one of a, a rare breed of people. And I'm going to jump into that. I have to dive further into comfort food before we start getting into some of some recipes or some I, some ideas that will help you this holiday season with cooking. Uh, comfort food. Um, I, I find comfort food to be a, uh, a necessity. I think it uh, warms the soul. I think it uh, brings you back. And to earlier times as a child, I mean, I remember when my comfort foods or what I ate as a kid and as I aged when I felt loved and appreciated. It was never anything extravagant. And I'm not going to be talking about anything extravagant today. After talking about the good things that um, uh, Chef Andreas and his organization have done and talking about the still the need out there uh, with food insecurity and food deserts, I'm, I'm not going to go into some all of a sudden uh, contradict myself and talk about extravagant meals uh, in this episode. Uh, but I'm going to focus on comfort foods. And at the same time, I'm also going to recognize, you know, have you ever wondered and and just took time to think more about why you have least favorite foods, foods that you can't stand? And it does have to do with our memories. Uh, and for example, I mean, I hate pickles. I can't stand pickles to this day. Even as a kid, I can't stand pickles. And you know why I can't stand pickles? Because I was bullied as a child. And as a kid uh, at school, another kid threw pickle juice all over me and all my clothes. And being that I grew up poor, and at this time, you know, my mother couldn't afford, uh, as a single mother, couldn't afford um, to have, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of clothes. And so I didn't have any clothes change into the school didn't have uh, any clothes that I could uh, wear. And so I had to go to the bathroom and wash off what I could. But for the whole day, I smelled like pickles. And for the rest of the day, I was picked on, laughed at, because some other kid uh, who wanted to be a jerk decided to throw pickle juice all over my my school clothes. 
and uh, I was wearing uniform, of course, and the only uniform that was available in the school principal's office was too small for me. I couldn't fit in it. So obviously I had to wear, keep my clothes on. So to this day, I, I hate pickles. I can't stand the smell of them. Uh, I don't like the taste of them. And because it's just, uh, it's a bad memory. And it's just, in general, it's one of those things where, you know what, I can avoid it. You know, I can avoid it like people avoid drinking uh, milk, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, I've I've met people who hate drinking milk and it's like, dude, you need the calcium. I mean, there's a difference with pickles. You can like get the nutrients from somewhere else and it's something that's salty. So it's not really good, that great for you to eat. With milk, you need milk to drink. You have to have milk for your bones, even as you get older in age to avoid osteoporosis. So I've seen and talked to people and heard the weirdest things, people who um, don't like eating uh, onions. And it's like onions are healthy for you. They they have antioxidants in them. Uh, they're healthy for you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I understand. And I'm not going to ignore the fact that there are people with allergies. Like, for example, I have a very um, dangerous uh, food allergy. I'm allergic to the oils in mango skins. So I can't actually pick up a fresh mango. I can't touch it. Uh, the, I am, if it, I get it anywhere near my nose or anything like that, this swells up and I won't be able to breathe. So I understand there's allergies out there. Uh, people allergic to strawberries, people allergic to seafood. Uh, I love seafood because when I was growing up, I never had an opportunity to uh, eat seafood until um, later on in years when I, because growing up in uh, outside of Pittsburgh, we ate a lot of fish. We ate a lot of local fish, a lot of trout, a lot of uh, walleye, because uh, we'd always go fishing and, and that's what was available. And then, you know, living in Arizona later on, going to high school there, had a lot of, you know, opportunities to actually eat some seafood. And it was amazing. And I was like, I, uh, this is great. You know, this is always something I'm going to love because I didn't have enough of it. But when it came to comfort food, there's always a few things that just jogged my uh, memory. And I, I want to remember those times. It's like mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is a comfort for me uh, and for a lot of people. But the reason why it's comfort food for me is because growing up with my mother, uh, yeah, we would buy the cheapest ingredients that we could find in the grocery store. And my mother and I would make it together and we would talk about what was going on that day, what we saw that was wonderful that day. And uh, even if we couldn't afford to make what Julia Child was making that day, uh, we would make mac and cheese. And then if we had any extra ingredients, throw it in there the, the, from Julia Child's recipe while she was talking about what she was, uh, and while she was cooking on her show. And so the French chef, which was her show, my other comfort food is hot chocolate, but not cocoa powder. I, I had fond memories with my father. Uh, even though my parents were divorced early on, I still spent a lot of time with my father. We would be fishing was one of our favorite things. And he would take Hershey bars and he would just put it in, in hot milk and melt it. And we would, you know, push it, swirl it around until it mixed together. And we would have that the first thing in the morning while fishing early in the morning. It was just a wonderful time. And we would talk and we talk about how fishing is calming. And so that was a really positive memory for me. And as a kid, helping my Hungarian grandmother make stuffed cabbage and talking about her life as a child, that was a uh, stuffed cabbage is another comfort food for me because of my uh, mom's mother, my gr my grandmother, 
that was when she would, it was just me and her, and she was talking about her child, herself growing up and as a kid and all the wonderful things she remembers. And she was very uh, happy when she was doing that, and she was smiling. And she didn't smile very often. She always seemed stressed out. But when she was talking about uh, her life as a child and, and making stuffed cabbage, she always seemed happy. And that was her happy uh, moment. And so I was happy to be there when she did it. And so those are why those are my comfort foods. And, um, and then those are also why, you know, pickles uh, is my least favorite food. And my other least favorite food uh, is jello. I, I hate jello. I can't stand it. And I'll tell you why. Because um, I don't have any good memories at all of jello. I've watched my grandmother, I've watched both grandfathers, I've watched my father have their last meal. And they all they all knew, they all knew that it was it was their last meal and but that was the only thing they could eat was jello. Um before they passed away. So I refuse to eat jello knowing that, you know, the day I do, it will be because it's it's my last meal and it's the only thing that I'll be able to eat. And so I don't I don't sorry, I'm makes me upset. I don't like jello at all because it, it means to me it is a last meal. So <clears throat> let me pause for a moment and then we're going to go into some, start going into some uh, other information about shortcuts for cooking. Starting in five, four, three, two, one. So that was a, a heavy moment there, and I apologize uh, about Jello. Um, but before I start, I I wanted to play this little snippet from uh, an SNL Saturday Night Live episode, uh, where one of the actors is uh, portraying Julia Child. Uh, this is I feel this is a moment of laughter that is needed, and I'm going to set this up now. So that way you can have a break and I can have a break. But I, before we start into cooking. Welcome. I'm Julia Child. Today we're going to make a holy feast or les fêtes d'olidae. And we're going to start with half bone chicken or poured demi de saucen. And you need a fine fat roasting chicken like this one. Uh, first, remove the giblets, and you really should save the giblets. They make a fine stock for soup, or you can save the, the liver and fry it up with some onions or a little snack. Or if you have a number of livers, you can make a lovely liver pate, or uh, perhaps a delicious liverwurst, which you can spread on a cracker, a Ritz cracker, a saltine, <laughs> rye bread, a rye bread, a pumpernickel bread, or a... If you're celebrating the Jewish holidays, you can make a chopped liver and shape it into the bust of a friend. <laughs> Someone who's getting married or bar mitzvah. <laughs> Is that it? Am I pronouncing it right? A bar mitzvah? I hope so. Or if you have a pet, a cat, or a dog, they love liver. Save the liver. Don't throw it away. I hope I've made my point. Don't throw the liver away. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. Lord Demi de Sausset, after you remove the giblets and save the, you know what, 
And I bet you'll never worst. You can spread it on crackers. Oh, well, anyway, it's time to bone the chicken. Now, for this, you need a very sharp knife. Can't do nothing without a sharp knife. Now, you place the chicken on its stomach and cut along the backbone to the pope's nose like so. Oh, oh. Now I've done it. I've cut the dickens out of my finger. Well, I'm glad in a way this happened. You know, that's what it's doing. I recommend uh, natural coagulants such as chicken liver. have to think that is really funny now come on that's like a really good snl skit uh quite hilarious i'm so glad to share it with you we get into shortcuts for cooking i'm going to give you some information that help you here this holiday season especially we're getting into december uh, and uh, also the last episode of the season two but just in case you don't know some of you may do but some shortcuts so if you don't have enough eggs for a recipe especially baking, if you don't have enough eggs for baking, so this is particularly for cakes, cupcakes and such, use one tablespoon for each egg you don't have. Use one tablespoon of mayo, mayonnaise. Um, I use Hellman's. Love it. it it's, it's very good uh, substitution if I don't have enough eggs uh, for baking a cake. Another thing, if I run out of butter but have heavy cream, you can... Whip up the heavy cream at high speed and it will thicken and eventually separate into butter. You just add salt, uh, sea salt or sugar to taste. But that is uh, another substitution if you run out of butter and you have heavy cream available. Whip it up into butter. Now, the flakiest pie crust is when you chop up sweet cream butter, cold sweet cream butter, Okay, and you blend it with flour and add a few tablespoons of ice cold water. That is the flakiest pie crust ever. That's what I do for Thanksgiving. That's what I do uh, for uh, when I'm cooking or in December for the holidays. If I'm making something that needs a pie crust, uh, that's the flakiest pie crust ever. Now, quick gravy. I've become a somewhat of an expert on making gravy because as a child, you know, besides helping my Hungarian grandmother cook for the holidays and my mother helping along when we're in the kitchen and we need to make gravy and we don't have a lot of ingredients. Um, and then growing up, uh, when I was young and my mother was, uh, a single mother, she did remarry. Yes. But as a single mother, 
not having a lot of money to buy a lot of ingredients. So a quick gravy. You take broth, take a little whole milk, just a little bit, a tablespoon, one tablespoon, onion powder and salt, and you put this in a pot on the stove and you start warming it up. And then uh, you start bringing up the heat a little bit more so it starts to uh, boil just a little bit, but not too much. And then you slowly add cornstarch while it's bubbling. Not a lot, just a little bit because cornstarch will start uh, clog, you'll get clumps of it if you add too much at once. So you lightly start adding it and it'll thicken into gravy. And sometimes um, I also, my grandmother did, you would put cornstarch in cold water to liquefy it. And then you would pour that mix into the, uh, the uh, mixture to make gravy. And that thickens it up just as well. But of course, remember, always add it while this uh, gravy uh, it, recipe is starting to bubble and it is bubbling. And then you lower the temperature and that's when the gravy starts thickening as it settles and sits there for a little bit and the temper start, temperature starts uh, uh, to lower as it's sitting on the stove. So those are some of the quick and easy uh, shortcuts that I've learned over the years, amongst others but I thought I'd share that with you. I also wanted to add that I think one of my favorite recipes out of Joy Child's book, the French Chef Cookbook, which I've had for years, is her recipe called Pomme de Terre Byron. It's a baked potato pancake. So around the holidays, instead of making mashed potatoes all the time, or if you have mashed potatoes as making leftovers, you can make this baked potato pancake. And you would, I'll read her recipe from her book, which is on page 53. Split potatoes as soon as baked. Scoop out flesh and break up in a bowl with a mixing fork. Fluff in salt, pepper, and softened butter to taste. And moisten slightly with heavy cream. Saute in a frying pan in hot butter until bottom is crusty. Then either flip over and brown the other side or slip onto a lightly buttered baking dish. Sprinkle with grated Swiss cheese, cream, and melted butter, then brown under a moderately hot broiler. And you would serve this with roasts or steaks. And so it is one of her easiest recipes that I have ever felt that it is so diverse. I could do a lot. I've actually done it with fish, uh, grilling fish and putting it on top of the pancake. I've done it with, uh, besides beef. I'm, we don't eat a lot of beef at our household. We eat a lot of bison. So I use actually bison. I'll serve it with bison steaks, uh, or as well as chicken and turkey for Thanksgiving. Instead of doing, if you want to take the mashed, mashed potatoes and follow this recipe. Now you have to listen to, uh, this short, uh, excerpt from her, her show in the 1950s. Uh, the French chef, when she talks about this actual recipe. Let's see if that is flippable. Well, I want you to try it anyway. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up if you're alone in the kitchen. Who is going to see 
But the only way you learn how to flip things is just to flip them. And so that, when that could have been browned a little more on that side, I shall consider that that's browned, and we'll put this in an oven dish like this. See, it has to be, it should have been browned enough on a crust, and then it would have held together. If I can shake that back in place a little bit. I'll spread it up. Now this one, anytime that anything like this happens, you haven't lost anything because you can always turn this into something else. So in this case, we'll put on a little bit of cheese. We'll pretend that this was supposed to be a baked potato dish. We'll put on a little cheese, and I've like still got some more cream. So I'll just put a little more cream on. This place is awfully good. We don't care about calories in this one. We know that potatoes don't have too many. Now, this, of course, you can get ahead of time done, and then you can either put it under a low broiler or you can uh, put it in the oven and bake it. So I shall set that aside. Okay, well, I am going to wrap up this episode four of that Fram episode, and I'm going to just give you some one more piece of advice before I uh, play out the rest of the episode with uh, Julia Child and David Letterman uh, when she was on his show in the 80s. Before we get to that, uh, my family actually has been doing this for a while. We spatchcock a turkey, a duck, birds in general. It's easier to cook. Uh, the cooking is better across the board in regards to the meat and how the heat uh, is uh, spread across uh, cooking purposes but to spatch cock a turkey obviously you want to dry it off you want to remove the giblets I love them I actually make the gravy out of them I will take the livers and the heart as well the heart I love the heart heart is always something that is a missed opportunity uh, in regards to making gravy chop them up what I do is I saute I, I will boil them first then once they get cooked enough, I will uh, transfer them to a pan with some olive oil, a little bit of sea salt, uh, after I have chopped them up. So I boil them, cook them enough, chop the heart and the lungs uh, up and the livers up, and then put them and saute them in a small pan with olive oil and some sea salt. And then I put that and even the dregs of the oil into the pot to make the gravy. And so... Don't throw away the liver. Remember, use it and don't throw away the heart. Use it to make the gravy. It adds a wonderful flavor. Now, in regards to spatchcocking the turkey, number one, you got that dried off. You got the turkey uh, sitting on top of a cutting board. Cut along one side of the backbone. You can use a knife or you can use uh, actual kitchen uh, scissors, shears. And then next you cut along the other side of the backbone and you remove it. Remove the backbone. Uh, you can save that uh, as well to cook, uh, make the gravy, uh, or to make a broth later on. If you want to, if if you freeze broth like we do, we freeze broth, uh, and so we also freeze uh, cuts of meats to make broth later. Now, once you've cut on both sides and you remove the backbone, you want to flatten the bird on the cutting board, push down, press down using both hands uh, until you hear uh, the crack of the wishbone and it's resting flat on the board, and then you season the turkey. It is so easy to actually stuff the skin with herbs, 
uh, or spices, whatever you put underneath the skin, or some people don't, on top. Then you season uh, at the top of the skin. And then you basically, uh, you can have it sit overnight, um, dry brine it overnight. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You can uh, obviously bring it to room temperature before you start cooking uh, and roasting the bird. And you're good to go. We always make our uh, stuffing separate. I've never liked cooking the stuffing inside the bird. I don't like the unevenness in the cooking in the bird inside the cavity and then what it does to the stuffing. We always cook the stuffing on the side. But that is one piece of information I'd love to share with you. So I appreciate you listening to this episode of The Heart of Cooking and Social Justice. And we have one more episode for this season two. I wish you a lovely holiday. I hope that you have a wonderful time with your relatives and friends. And let me uh, share with you one more early excerpt with Joya Child with David Letterman and let this play out on this episode. Happy holidays and sending you hugs. So tonight, tonight we're going to cook right a hamburger. A hamburger. A very fine hamburger. Okay. And here it is, right here, very fine meat. Hamburger. This is some of the best meat that came over from Good Morning America. Because they all look at your show. <laughs> they all look at your show and they say, this is not the best. This is Good Morning America meat? It certainly is. <laughs> it up like they never had That's it a before. special category that the USDA has arrived at for television. <laughs> right. This is GMA meat, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. All right, any, uh, do you get it fat? Do you get it lean? Well, I don't think it's any good if it's too lean. Because uh -huh. hamburger is not diet food. No, that's right. If you don't have enough fat in it, you ain't going to have any flavor and tenderness. Fat actually so provides this is, the flavor, right? this is about what they like to say 80% lean, mm -hmm. which means 20% fat. All right, 20% that's fat. That's about the least. What, what's uh, ground beef going for these days? This was a dollar twenty-nine. Very good. We got ten percent off because it was good morning. Good morning, America. America. Now we're gonna fix it up. And would you like to braise it, or don't you like onion on your? No, onions? I love onion. And we have one Fine. minute for the whole thing. Is all we have? Oh, because we were killing all of that time at the top of the show, and now we only have a minute. I was gonna be stuck. Right, we'll do that in huh? twenty seconds, David. No, no, we have. We'll grate the onion. We'll if, do you, that? if you grate the onion, then I'll put in a little salt and pepper. You know what? Is it better to grate the onion or chop it up? Grate the oh, onion. Oh, grate it if it's good. Because we're not gonna cook it. Oh, my thumb! Oh! Well, that, that won't help. That won't help the hamburger. Yeah, let me get that in the meat there. Let's uh, yeah. do we do a commercial now? No, I'm sorry. My, my clock is completely out of whack. Did we get enough onion in there? We want to have a good hamburger. Has David Hartman ever eaten one of these hamburgers? No, he never has. This is just specially for you. Oh, thank you very much. No, we got, you, you we got to find well a new David. David. No, I just love him, and we're going to miss him when he goes. Oh, seriously. Why don't you come over and do that? <laughs> come that over So, when you could leave here and then, then come skin. on on the... At five o'clock in the morning. Have you ever cooked something, Julia, that just turned out awful? Yes, lots of nuggets. Yeah, and what do you do then? What yeah, happens? I give it to my husband. Put it in the pan. All right, I'm sorry. Then we got to put it in the pan. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. Wow, this is one hamburger? Well, yeah. look at the size of that. You I could know. feed the National Guard well, with that. It's going to be very, very good. It's a very nice, it's a late night little snack. olive oil in there? That's a little oil. Yeah, is this, is this a, one of those coated pans? What's that's in that a, pan? Yeah, that's a coated oh, pan. Coated with They're what? Wonderful. 
I don't know. What did they put on it? But isn't that poisonous? Won't that give off the radiation or something? You <laughs> no, no. What they did, they burned. I mean, about 800 of those pants and found there was nothing wrong with oh, them well, at that's all. Good. Okay. So that's fine. Okay. So this, just... this is going to be very rare, I think. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, Mary didn't, didn't pay the electricity bill, apparently. Well, this is their pan, anyway. I mean, this is embarrassing. Everything comes from Good Morning America? Well, the stove is yours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a beauty, too, huh? <laughs> Just like Grandma used to be. What is that, a Mattel? That's nice. Uh, okay, we'll, uh, we'll be right here to see how this hamburger uh, thing goes. The Fram episode.